Welcome to the Simple Self-Care Podcast, your weekly nudge to take good care. I'm your host, Randy Kay. Hello and welcome to week three of the month of joy here on the podcast. To brighten up the month of February, I'm sharing conversations with my go-to joy inspirations to chat about bringing some joy into every area of life. We've already heard from award-winning chef and blogger Molly Yeh and nutritionist and wellness coach Becca Shearn from Minimal Wellness. And today I get to share my wonderfully insightful conversation with artist and designer and writer Caroline Kelso-Zook from Made Vibrant. Caroline shares so much wisdom on the importance of aligning with your core, how taking action combats the fear of sharing your work, creating space for self-care, the power of gratitude, how minimalism creates creative clarity, and embracing your weird, and so much more. So stay tuned. But first, I want to remind you of a free little gift of love I have for you this month. You can't truly love others until you truly love yourself. But self-love is not always the easiest thing to cultivate, and we have so much negative chatter going on in our brains that sometimes it can be hard to tune in to the self-love that is already there. So I created a little ebook to help called Cultivating Self-Love, the how-to and why-to of creating a deeper love for yourself. Self-care is a vehicle for self-love, and this ebook is full of self-care practices and perspectives for you to try on. There's even a whole step-by-step guide on dating yourself. It's a good time, I promise. So head over to my website for your free download at naturallyrandyk.com. That's naturally, R-A-N-D-I-K-A-Y.com, or simply text self-love18, all one word, one eight, to the number 44222. Alrighty, back to Caroline. I had the pleasure of befriending Caroline and her now husband, Jason, many moons ago at a crazy little conference held here in Fargo, put on by a merry band of misfits. And I use the word misfits because it was called Misfit Con. Uh, It was really great. But I've been following the evolution of her work ever since. Caroline's Business Made Vibrant is an online resource for soulful creatives. It serves as an intersection of creativity and personal growth and running an authentic business. She offers a free weekly newsletter with her insights, as well as online artistic and business classes. And she's currently working on a new venture with her husband, Jason, that she talks about more in today's conversation. On a personal note, Caroline has been a huge inspiration for me, and I've had the courage and confidence to move forward with a lot of my offerings because of Caroline's encouragement and wisdom. So I'm very honored to have her on the podcast so you can all bask in her wonderfulness as well. So let's get right to it. So when I first met you, you had just, you had made Vibrant, but it was more of a graphic design kind of consulting Yes, agency. And now your work has evolved into being more of an artist and helping other people embrace their creativity and authentic expression. Can you talk more about that process of going from this one way of expressing yourself artistically, but then um, really embracing that like, no, you want to be producing more art, your own art? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it was a confluence of a couple of different factors. 
Um, the first one and probably most important one being that I really at the time that I started Made Vibrant didn't think of myself as an artist, or at least it was really hard to call myself an artist. Um, in the traditional sense, you know, I definitely have fought my own battle with that label um, my whole life. I was always a really creative kid. Um, however, I was also a really academic kid. And I felt like I got a lot of early cues that told me that focusing on my academics was a more viable career choice. And maybe, you know, the artistic side of what I was interested in could be more of a hobby or not something that would bring you financial stability and things like that. And so, um, I chose to really focus on the academic side and to always, I always saw that creative part of myself, uh, as a sort of hobby and not something that I was formally trained in. Um, and I guess I approached it with that academic view of, of still like, I needed somebody to like, give me that certificate of authenticity to say, Oh, you know, you are an artist or you are capable of, you have this talent or you have this skill. Um, and so, when I started Made Vibrant in 2014, A, I didn't really know, I wasn't really painting at the time. The only real art I was doing was um, hand lettering, which I, I didn't know was even called a thing called hand lettering. I had just been sort of drawing words my whole life um, as an easy means. Like whenever I would be like, oh, I want to do some art right now. I was never good at like drawing things that came up and popped into my head. But letters were the one thing that I always obviously we all know letter forms. So it was like the one source of inspiration I could always draw on to doodle or do things. And, and I love words and I love concepts and ideas. So that was a natural fit for me. Um, and so when I started Made Vibrant, I, you know, was still sort of finding my own, um, permission, I guess you could say to call myself an artist. And at the same time, I really dove into the deep end of starting my own business. I was actually at the time working for Jason, my husband, my then boyfriend. Uh, I had been working for him for like three years. He had this marketing company um, that was kind of coming to a close. And my initial career had started in advertising. And I just the thought of going back to a corporate environment, um, an office in the advertising world, my whole body was just like, don't do it. And so without any money saved up, and actually we were quite a bit in debt at the time, I thought to myself, I'm just going to give this whole business thing a try. I'm going to try to make it on my own. And at the time, the best skill set that I felt I had developed that um, had the best chance of financial income was being a designer. So I knew, so if I was kind of weighing my options at that point, let's say I even had decided that I, I was an artist and I could paint. Um, I knew the margins on things like selling prints or selling, you know, different, um, art things like that was a lot lower and I would have to have a greater audience likely and more sales versus if I could just get one or two clients a month, of designing a website or a brand, um, that seemed a lot more feasible to me to bring in whatever I needed to make, uh, you know, make the bills that month. So it was both a business decision in order to focus on something that maybe I needed less of a big audience uh, to get get my business off the ground. But it was also definitely a, um, a a limiting belief on my part that I wasn't yet deemed an artist. So what gave you the courage to then? just go for it and start sharing your work on Instagram and on your website. Yeah. Well, definitely Instagram was a huge part of it. And so this was kind of before, before Instagram became what it is now, which is just, you know, super saturated and everybody kind of is on it. But at the time 
it very much was still that like, just share parts of your life. And it felt a lot more informal. And, um, it seemed like a low barrier to entry for me to just like put one, a picture of a a lettering piece here or there. And I started getting encouragement. And so every time I did that, every time I shared a piece of something that I had created, it felt a lot less scary to do. And, um, and then I think the big turning point with that was I did like a 30 day lettering challenge where I just did movie quotes for, you know, every day for 30 days. And that was my first uh, sort of dipping my toe into some sort of creative daily practice. And I shared those on Instagram and people really responded well to it. And from that point on, I realized through doing that, you know, those fears that I had in my head of people saying like, why are you doing this? Or you're not good enough or all of that was just that it was in my head. And so every time it became a lot easier. So that sort of started the ball rolling on that in order to just get over that first initial wall, which I think is the kind of the highest wall to get over, which is just that first initial fear of sharing something and being vulnerable and and opening yourself up for criticism or rejection. And once you realize, you know, that a lot of those fears are amplified in your head and not in real life. um, And once you actually experience the the thrill of creating something and, and seeing it resonate with someone that also helps you build up this armor where you go, even if somebody did criticize me, I love the joy of doing this more than I am afraid of the criticism. So I'm going to keep doing that. Um, so once I got to this place where I was comfortable sharing my work, I was, um, writing a lot on made vibrant. It had become clear to me that I didn't want to work with clients anymore. Um, on the design side. And so I transitioned into online courses as a way to phase out the the client side of it. Um, and then specifically into the painting part of it, this was like two years ago on my birthday, Jason and I were taking a trip and I just had this dream, like, you know, an actual dream of painting. And just like, I could literally feel like the paint on the canvas and what that felt like. And I woke up and I was like, Jason, this, as soon as we get home, like I have to paint. It, I think it had been something that I had wanted to do for a long time. But for whatever reason, I had finally reached that point where my subconscious had said, you need to do this. Like you can't be afraid to do this anymore. It doesn't matter if you don't know what you're doing. It doesn't matter if you didn't go to art school. You really have a curiosity about this and you're something deep inside of you is wanting to pursue this. So just get out there and do it and learn through doing. And so the second we got home, I dropped him off. After our trip, I said, you unpack the bags. I'm going to Michael's. And I just bought some art supplies. And from that point forward, I have been painting ever since. Wow. That's amazing. I didn't know that. I didn't know that the the dream part and that you really haven't painted before. No, not at all. In fact, it was so, if you go back through my Instagram, you can see exactly when it happened. I took a photo of my art supplies and I, I mean, I had dabbled of course here and there of like craft paints and things like that. Um, but I, you know, this was the first time that I had gotten like real kind of art supplies. And I even took, um, a couple of like classes on creative bug just because I needed like something to start with. Um, I felt so scared of just like, what am I doing? I don't even know what the right way to do this is. Um, and there's a couple early paintings of me, like finding pictures on Pinterest and trying to paint like realism, like trying to paint what those are. And it became very like clear to me early on that I didn't, I didn't want 
that was the opposite of what I wanted was to paint something that I saw and try to make it look real. What I actually wanted was just the freedom to put color and movement and paint onto a canvas and to feel free. And so that's why I gravitate much more towards the abstract and towards sort of expressionistic stuff. Um, and I definitely had a chip on my shoulder about that for a while because I had this feeling of like, well, anyone can do this and blah, blah. And it's like, that's not the point. It doesn't matter. It's, you know, if that is the purest expression of what like my soul wants to feel through the, the medium of painting, then that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. So there's a few times when you've talked about like your journey and your evolution where, where you really tune into like the core of who you are. So when you talked yeah. about changing jobs, you were like, my whole body was telling me I needed to do this. And then when you got to this painting, it was like this dream came to you. Can you talk more about like tuning into that part of yourself and, and listening? Uh, oh my gosh. Yeah. That is truly that question like underlines what I think is part of like why I'm hope to be here on this planet, which is that I really do believe that this thing that we're all searching for, which is like happiness or fulfillment or satisfaction, like I think it can be broken down. And this is just my personal belief through my own experience to this core essence, this, whatever you want to call it, soul, soul spirit, uh, intuition, just whatever that most basic uh, you know, form is within all of us. I think that that is sort of this weird cocktail of, you know, our personalities and our talents and, uh, our beliefs and all these things at this like core part of us. And I think that all the things that we're seeking are only going to come to us when we find what I call alignment, which is, you know, do our actions then match up with what that core being really wants. And so the first step, obviously, in trying to match those two things up is to figure out, well, what does that core self want? Like, I can't go out and al align myself or do things that are going to align with my core if I don't even know what that core is. So the first step to me is really that listening that you were asking about. And I have found, I know this is a lot easier for some people, um, you know, versus others, but I do think it is a skill set that can be cultivated. I think it starts with understanding like physical factors. So they're what I call indicators. So what are the physical indicators in your body that are telling you when something is, you know, dissonant or out of alignment, or as you would describe it of like off. And that can be everything from, you know, I had a feeling in the pit of my stomach, I was nauseous to I was, you know, super tense, or I felt like for me, it shows up a lot as anxiety. So like a, a physical um, tightness in my chest, it feels when I go to sleep at night, it feels like an elephant is sitting on my chest. And that's how I know that something is sort of blocked and out of alignment or off. And the first step is just a recognizing, okay, this feeling is here. And then now I have the experience that tells me that, that this is what this feeling means. And then you have to go inward and ask yourself, okay, what are the potential sources of that? And sometimes, you know, sometimes it's clear, sometimes it's not. So sometimes I have to sort of like, it sounds weird, but I view my life very much as an experiment. So sometimes I have to like run some experiments like, okay, is it this work project? Do I need to, is it that I have too much on my plate? Like seeking out those different ways of, of ways to potentially alleviate that. But I definitely think the physical factors are helpful. I think I always talk to people about cultivating a language between your head and your heart. So part of the thing that's hard for people is that 
they might have a feeling, but they don't, their head doesn't know how to interpret that feeling because they don't have the words for it. Um, so you have to find a way to go, here's this feeling or here's this sensation or here's this intangible thing and start to create almost a vocabulary for yourself of going, oh, chest, chest pain is anxiety. You know, like those type of like um, toolbox of things that you can go to so that the the listening part isn't as hard because you're you're basically showing up with a dictionary that you can use to translate your own signals, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just smiling this whole time you're saying this <laughs> because it's so similar to what I have found to be like really the most important thing about self-care. Like to me, like yeah. this is what self-care is. It's this whatever you need to do uh, whatever tools help you the most to tune into that inner wisdom, that voice that you were talking about. And yeah. um, because that's, that's where the magic is, you know, that's yeah. where um, we can make these tough calls and really tune into what is going to be in alignment with what is next for us. So yeah. I, I just like everything you said, like I was just sitting here like, <laughs> yeah, this is true. Um <laughs> One thing that I do think and why I'm so happy that people like you are teaching about this is that that sort of self-knowledge and self-awareness is really hard to cultivate if you don't create space for it. So mm-hmm. it's very hard to just be going about your day and taking in all these inputs that we do and feeling these different feelings um, and to be able to, in, in the spaces in between all of that chaos, to be able to be like, Hmm, I'm feeling this way. Why am I feeling this? like, it's just, it's virtually impossible to find the cracks in your day to do that mm-hmm. unless you make space for it. So that, that to me is part of what self care is, is making that space so that you can have the, the necessary time to create that vocabulary between your head, head and your heart and to understand what alignment feels like, what you know, misalignment feels like. Um, and those things you can only, those things are so unique and so singular to who you are that you're the only one that can do that work in order to figure it out. So you have to make that time for it. Yeah. And that's actually a lot of what I do with my mentoring clients is when we start on this self-care journey and like how to incorporate it more into your life. A lot of it is not like, okay, you're going to do this three times a week and like have it really structured. It's like, what are these pockets of time throughout your day that are reserved for certain acts, but not mm-hmm. specific acts? Because, you know, one day journaling might be a great thing, but the next day you just need to sit and breathe or the next Completely. day. And it's just like, but you have the space for it. And that's the key. You have this yep. specific time in your day that's just as important as, you know, brushing your teeth or eating lunch. Like it's part of how you operate and just having yep. that regular check-in time. Completely. I love that. Cause I, I totally subscribe to that. Like not having a specific act, but just having the time in order to make those decisions. And, and going back to what I said before about, you know, cause I, I can tell some people would say, well, how do I know what I need in that moment? If, if they're not particularly attuned to those things, like just genetically speaking. Um, and, and I go back to my answer about experimenting. So if you have those pockets of time, maybe in the beginning, you're not sure, but you try meditation in that time, or you try creativity in that time, or you try a bath in that time and you pay attention to then, okay, what was the results of that? How did I feel after? Did I feel like that 
activity or practice served the the need that I was feeling when I made that decision. And then you just sort of, again, it's repetition and you sort of then the next time you're confronted with that similar feeling of, let's say it's like overwhelm and you go, okay, what's good for overwhelm? Um, you know, maybe today, like just taking a bath so I can breathe and just feel comfort. Maybe that's it. I don't know. But um, I find that that's a really great, I think, tip is like having that time, but not necessarily the specific activity so that you can then create your own sense of, um, and have more confidence in your ability to determine what it is that you need. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In my own practice, I, it's nothing time. Like people will ask like, well, what's your self-care practice? And I'm like, or what's your morning ritual? And I have like little things that I do, but the most important part is I wake up, I make my beverage of choice and then I do nothing yeah nothing is so crucial I I think nowadays especially I talk um to Jason a lot about this idea of and I think I've said it in a podcast before but I'm coming back to this metaphor a lot recently which is like I don't know why this metaphor pops up because by the way I do not kayak I am not like a kayaker (laughs) but it's the best way that I think of it where it's like if you've ever kayaked, you know, when you're paddling and at some point the momentum kind of takes your kayak or the current of, you know, the, wherever you're in, will take it. But if you just put your paddle straight down in the water, you'll kind of resist the current for a second. And it just makes you stop. Like it doesn't try to, you're not trying to go in the opposite direction. You're just sort of like slowing down. And it's this like very simple decision of going, I'm just going to put my paddle down and stop for a second. And it's this active sort of resistance, you know, um, against wherever the current is taking you. And I find that that is so crucial in this like crazy time that we live in where like, I feel like everything like media and work and society and things are carrying us on this crazy current. And sometimes we need that act of resistance that just, we put our paddle down and we sit and we do nothing Mm -hmm. in order to like recalibrate and, um, And I think it's even more important because it's getting harder and harder to do that. So I think the harder it feels to resist and the harder it feels to um, stop and do nothing, that's like the more beneficial it's actually doing for your life, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. I like that metaphor. What made me think of it insights to my weird brain is like sometimes – that's like a a good, like gentler way to stop. But sometimes you need like more. And I just think of Gandalf, like with his staff, just being (laughs) like, you shall not pass. Like just being like, no, (laughs) just stopping in your track. Yeah. If if, if the gentle, like putting the kayak paddle in the water doesn't work, you got to pull out your Gandalf staff and you got to do that. (laughs) It's a Gandalf staff kind of day. You just got to blast the current right on out of the water and you just got to (laughs) like sit for a sec. And then you come back as Gandalf the White. So it was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Um, No, I really like what you said about, um, getting curious. That's, that's one thing I, I take on a lot. Just even, I think if you're in any kind of self-improvement or like healing industry, you use yourself as a guinea pig a lot of the time. Oh yeah. But a phrase that I use with myself is like, well, what if, like, Mm -hmm. what if I went to the gym? Just, I don't know. Let's just see. Yeah. Like, what if I was the kind of person that could wake up earlier? I don't know. And it kind of turns into this more of like, I mean, maybe I won't be, but like, what if I am? And there's like no pressure or like come Monday at 
7 a.m. I'm going to be a new person. Like that just, I'm instantly resistant to that. But if I approach it with more of like a softness and more of like a, maybe let's just see. It's not forever. It's just like this one time and it it helps a lot. Oh yeah. And curiosity is such a like multi- functional tool for all kinds of different things but even like again going back to the cultivating that self-awareness and going inward I mean curiosity is like the only way to do that and it's just as simple as being like huh well you know what if what if I just picked up a paintbrush and what would that feel like and you know just constantly asking those questions because and it's sort of like a following the breadcrumbs of your own, you know, heart kind of thing. Like Mm -hmm. you're dropping these little hints to yourself all the time, even if you're not aware of it. And if you have the awareness and the curiosity to follow those breadcrumbs, you might just find your way back to the heart of kind of who you are. And that's, I think, a good way to do that. Well, yeah. And it's crazy in your situation to think of like, well, what if you ignored that dream you had? Yeah. Like, because I feel like your artwork is so much a part of you now and it's so much a part of your business and what has attracted people to you and if you would have had that dream and been like I know I'm too afraid like yeah where would you be you know it's completely it's completely interesting to think about and so that's why it's so important to keep following those nudges I mean they're happening for a reason absolutely so what kind of things I guess, because you're not just creative in art. I mean, you and Jason produce a lot of different types of things and you do a lot of writing. What? How does the role of self-care fit into being able to access those creative areas of yourself? Oh, that's a great question. Well, I definitely think that, I think any creative pursuit to some extent, like there is definitely that part that we talked about, which is like curiosity and exploration and following whims and things like that, which is fantastic. But I think there's another part of it, which is discipline. And it's like, yes, I followed the initial whim of like, you know, picking up that paintbrush, but it was the, you know, the, the year that I decided to do a daily piece every day for 280 days, the discipline of that, which taught me how to find like my voice and to really turn it into a creative practice. And so I think that discipline takes effort, discipline takes, um, you know, fighting like procrastination and things like that. And I think in order to find that willpower, self-care is really important. Um, that's kind of my interpretation of it is like, if I'm not taking care of myself, um, self-care, I guess I should say, allows me to play a more active, role in owning my experience in the world. And so I find that if I'm letting my self-care go, I'm becoming very much like a victim of circumstance or I'm letting myself react to the world around me versus like cultivating the world around me. And so those are the cases which I'm probably not going to have the willpower to like go down to the studio and actually be in there and like carve out that time or to sit down, you know, in the chair and edit like I'm editing Jason's second book right now. And that's hours a day of like reading words and reorganizing things and like talking to Jason about how do you want to say this? And it's a lot of sort of heavy lifting in the creative uh, areas of my brain. But if I'm not taken care of, there's no way that I'm going to have the willpower in order to sit there for hours and do that. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So what kinds of things do you do? 
Definitely. Well, like, like we said before, it kind of depends on what I need at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely find that if I'm getting in a, too in my head or too overwhelmed, I will go down to the studio, not necessarily for like my practice, but just to get, like, get paint on something because I find that that opens me up a lot, um, gets me kind of releases that over analytical part. So I find that to be an act of self-care for sure. Um, I use baths as an example because that's one of my favorites. There's just something about being in water and, and the relaxation of like a hot bath that really calms me. Like I'm a very anxious person by nature. So just physically it calms me. It feels very comforting. It feels indulgent. So there's like all these like things I think firing on that. Um, so that's usually like if I'm kind of worn out or any of those things, I'll just be, and sometimes I'll take a bath in the middle of the day. I mean, I have a, the, the complete like, um, benefit of working from home. So I will completely like just sit in a bubble bath in the middle of the day. And I know not everybody can be able to do that, but you got to find like that for yourself. Um, sometimes self-care means dancing. Like I know it sounds really silly, but I love a good dance party in the middle of the day. Um, and sometimes I just need to sort of shake stuff off. Uh Um, and recently this year specifically, I've found journaling to be really effective for me. Uh, gratitude is a huge part of like, that sort of goes without saying, which I guess I should say it, but in my little planner, I have a top three daily gratitude, which is something that I sort of just adapted from the five minute journal. Um, but even just that simple practice of writing down what I'm grateful for, I find to be very um, helpful in framing my day and journaling, which I used to resist for a long time because I write so much in general that I think I was just like, I can't write more. <laughs> like my newsletters are my journals basically, but no, there's a different sense of intimacy and sort of working through my thoughts and emotions that I find if I can just write it down, it doesn't have to be coherent. It doesn't have to mean anything, but getting it out of my head really helps me. Yeah. I found that journaling helps, like, especially when I have to write for someone else, like for my own work, that journaling is like the brain dump I need to like get to the good stuff. So totally. Then like my, clearing, clearing the debris. <laughs> yes, definitely. I'm also a big fan of dance parties in the middle of the day. Uh, I appreciate when you post your dance parties on your Instagram. Thanks. I should do that more often. For the record, I, you got killer moves. Thank you. I do. I struggle with that because when I'm dance partying, I don't want to like have to be like filming my dance party. I want to be dancing, you know. But you know, that's very selfish of me, and I need to share it more with the world. Just the and world really, needs it. really, the world needs. Jason's dance moves, which the world does not see that as much. But if you guys only knew the kind of moves that he busts out behind the scenes, it, it's just fantastic. You should sneak attack one time. I definitely should. Yeah, I should. do appreciate uh, Jason's stories as well. Um, oh, he's so good at it. I just uh, like, babe, how do you think of that? Like, I what? know. His brain just so, works in a different way. They make truly. me laugh so hard. Like when he's shopping, those ones are really good. <laughs> Um, oh yeah, he loves a good, good one. I think I think he just was so conditioned from his I wear your shirt days, mm-hmm. which for those listening was sort of like Jace was like a vlogger before vlogging was a thing, where he would promote brands on social media and he would do a YouTube video every day, and he did it for like you know fifteen hundred videos or whatever. So he's his brain is wired to like tell these short little funny stories, 
but I get so mad at him because he's never on Instagram. And then every once in a while he posts a story and it's so good. And everyone <laughs> is just like, you need to do this more often. <laughs> it's true. He's pretty, I'll have a link to his, to all you guys' information in the show notes. But um, yeah, his Instagram stories are pretty great. That's for sure. He's such a dork. <laughs> Um, I'm, I've been seeing that he's doing something for Tesla right now or like they're test driving a Tesla and I'm like, this is going to be good. Um, oh yeah. If he's, he, his dork comes out. Yeah. He also filmed a video with a friend of ours that I'm very excited to see. He did show me a screen grab of them in the trunk, um, reviewing <laughs> something. So that felt, that felt congruent with what I've come to expect from him. So right. anyway, yes. yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're, I keep, I'm really Speaking of that, I'm really trying to twist his arm to do more video content for this thing that we're going to do together um, very soon. I think he's still even like burnt out years later from from filming so many videos, but he's so good at video. And I I just love video as a medium. I think it's the best way to like get some, get a feel for someone's personality. I mean, there's obviously advantages to every different type of medium and, and platform, but I love video, so but he still just is like I don't I don't know, and I'm like come on man, so yeah, he'll come around. He'll come around. Yeah, I'll work on my persuasion tactics. I'll just stroke his ego a little bit more and <laughs> get yeah, in there. That has to work. <laughs> um, well, another thing that I want to chat more about is talking about structure because I know mm-hmm. personally myself as well dealing with. Um, bringing in that discipline into self-care because when our lives are so demanding and we have, you know, we're run by our calendars and various expectations, where do you find that sweet spot of uh, bringing discipline into what you're needing? Yeah. I mean, one way that just comes off the top of my head, Jason and I, and I know you've seen our workshop that called working to live, but we have this scheduling philosophy, which is that, you know, if all of us have these businesses in order to live the lives that we want, then what we do is we schedule our days around the business rather than the life. And so what happens is we end up just working all the time and you, and every once in a while you stop and go, well, what am I working so hard for if not to have a life that I enjoy, you know? And so it's a little bit backwards the way that we tend to schedule ourselves. And so we kind of made this realization, um, a while ago and decided to start trying to schedule our days around life first and then fit business into, um, the places in between. So, you know, and that changes the way that it looks like. And sometimes we're better at kind of scheduling out the week beforehand, um, than others. But what that looks like for me is saying, okay, if I want to go to the gym because health is important to me three times a week, then I'm going to put that on my calendar first. And if I know that I want to spend, you know, at least two or three days where I have like two to three uninterrupted hours in the studio in the morning, because I won't look at my email and that's the best time for me to do it. Then I'm going to put that on my calendar first. And we also do simple things like we don't, we try not to schedule calls on Mondays or Fridays so that, um, cause we like having those days one to get ready for the week and then to close up the week. And so by, by setting all of these scheduling priorities that revolve around life first, what you find is that then there's like, okay, here's my four hours of work time in Tuesday afternoon. And I find that that kind of reverse structure is really helpful for me because it creates 
boundaries where I can then be productive. Like if I have a full day to just like putz around and try to accomplish a task, there's no way it's going to get done. I need that sort of uh, smaller container in order to do those things. So from a structure perspective, I just like looking at it the reverse, like really making sure that those self-care non-negotiables or life non-negotiables are on the calendar first and then working backwards. What helps you honor those, especially when there's no one else like controlling what you do? Yeah. Um, truthfully, I, and again, everyone has their own different form of um, accountability. Mine is a little dose of myself and Jason. So like I have um, keeping my, I have like a little digital planner and keeping that is really helpful for me because I always can see the previous days and I always, I always have one task, like one thing that I'm trying to accomplish. And then I have my schedule there. I have like my water intake, my gratitude, those things. So being able to have, be confronted with that on a daily basis is really helpful. Cause then that's my accountability is like, Oh, it's staring you right in the face. Did you actually take those three hours in the studio or did you not? Um, and then Jason and I do a meeting every, well, we do several meetings, but, um, just a general status meeting we do once a week. And that is helpful for me to have that outside source. That's like, Hey, you know, you said that you wanted to, you know, get the, that one canvas done that you wanted to spend that time in the studio last week, but you didn't like what's going on or whatever. Like he, he's very good about gently kind of reminding me of those things. But truthfully, I'm now to the place in my own self-care journey where I know what I need and I know how much I need it. So like, that's what keeps me disciplined in doing it because I know what's on the other side of following through on that, which is that I'm going to be a brighter version of myself, the best version of myself possible. So, um, the accountability piece is less important than it used to be. Mm. Yeah. It's kind of working through that transition period of, yeah. of knowing what it can be like when you do it and therefore exactly. it becomes more common sense. Exactly. Than this like burden, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. I think that's a huge, it's kind of opposite of what we're taught to do, especially if you work more a more traditional nine to five job of like scheduling yourself first. Yeah. It just seems, yeah, counterintuitive. Yeah. But it's so helpful because it's like when you do it the reverse way, like even if you do have a job where you're at an office all day and let's say you also have kids to come home to, you know, if you don't prioritize whatever it is that that kind of um, that you need to build yourself back up, then then you're probably going to fall to the the least common denominator. So let's say you like go to an office all day and then you, you're you know, picking the kids up from school, you're taking them to their classes or whatever, you cook dinner, you whatever, by the time you're home, maybe all you've got left is like, I just want to like veg out and watch Netflix for an hour before bed or whatever that thing is. Versus if you at the top of the day said, you know, what would make me feel really good is finally taking that little online painting class. Like it's, it's a 20, you know, there's a 20 minute video on Skillshare that I want to take and I've been meaning to take it forever. So you know, blocking out that little bit of time wherever you can find it and saying, this is a priority to me today. And that way, as the rest of the day comes through your office job, picking up the kids, whatever, by the time you get to there, you've set the intention that you're, you're more likely to follow through on that than you are to just fall to the least common denominator thing, you know? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and that actually reminds me of another thing I wanted to chat with you about. A lot of people that I've interviewed also practice minimalism and simplifying, and I know that you and Jason incorporate some of those principles as well. So yeah. could you talk about that and how that's played a role in your life and even how that's helped you be able to prioritize yourself first? Oh, yeah. I mean, that was a minimalism in general as a concept was such a huge light bulb moment for us because, and I'll tell you, like, I mean, there are so many different reasons, but to me, the biggest one that is the most like translatable to every different aspect of your life is just the idea of intention. And like, instead of mindlessly consuming, 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 taking, taking, buying, buying, you're having to ask yourself, what is it that I really value? What is it that I want to bring into my life? You know, and you're making decisions that are mindful. And so that applies to possessions and things in the case of minimalism, but it, but it also applies to every other aspect of your life. So you go, okay, this, uh, activity that I'm doing in my life on my schedule, does it actually bring me value or can I eliminate it? You know? And so it's applying that type of, of values based intentions to everything that you do that, um, we've now found so, so useful. So, and we, you know, I think as the minimalists say, like find your own flavor. And that's definitely what Jason and I do, um, which is that, you know, we don't, we have things, we have a number of things, but they are all through the lens of what truly brings us value. And when we bring new things into the house, they're always considered, um, they're never impulsive and things like that. So just cultivating that sense of consciousness, um, and intention has helped us definitely do that for every aspect of our lives, business, schedule, people, like friendships, um, travel, all of those different things. We're constantly asking ourselves, like, is this decision or thing, whether tangible or intangible, bringing us value? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said about getting really clear on your values because it gives you something to always come back to, especially when you're on the fence about something. Yep. It's like the littlest things like, you know, what you want to bring into your kitchen or these big life choices and relationships. It's like, well, do these match my values? Yes or no. And then it's so much easier to make a call. So much easier. So much easier. You have this like better, wiser version of yourself that got to the heart of what you really want that set out these parameters that now you can be reminded of and go, oh yeah, well the needle, the needle is very clearly in this, this, uh, category for whatever decision we're making. I couldn't agree more. So yeah, I remember when you guys were living in Florida and you were getting ready to move and you like put your whole wardrobe for sale basically. And you had this huge garage sale and you just, you did it. You guys just got rid of pretty much everything it seemed yeah. like yeah and, we did. and started fresh so how did how did that change your yeah. life we um that was partially a decision well we were definitely in like a place where we were ready to start fresh I mean we had made this decision that we wanted to move away from Florida we wanted to pursue just adventure we thought to ourselves um, we both work from home. Like we have this flexibility, we need to use it. And also we just wanted to seek out different experiences. I grew up in that town of Jacksonville my whole life pretty much. Um, so we were ready to go. And then we kind of did the math too on whether 
like what it would cost to pick, pack up all of our belongings and our furniture and all that stuff and like put it in a U-Haul truck and move it across the country and what that would cost, um, which is, you know, thousands of dollars to rent this truck and bring it cross country, not to mention Jason driving the truck, me following him in our Tiguan with our dog and like what that experience would be like. And it would have, and then we also said, okay, how much would it cost to like sell all of our stuff and then buy new stuff when we get to California based on whatever we need. And truthfully, I think financially it would have been a better call to do the truck, but we were like, okay, this is where like the intangibles of what do you value and things like that, you know, come into play where we were like, you know, but the experience that we want to have of, of actually taking this road trip and driving across the country, we don't want to be stressed out about it. We don't want to be worried about this truck breaking down on us with all of our stuff. And we were definitely in this place with minimalism. We were like, it's just stuff, you know, and we had already started to experience the emotional and mental benefits of what letting go of stuff looks like, um, and, and being able to sever that attachment. And there's a sense of freedom and, and for lack of a better term, power in those decisions, um, where you realize like this stuff doesn't have power over me. Like I, I determine the meaning that I get to put into it. And so we just made the call and we were like, you know, I think it would just be so great to start fresh. And it's not like we had like crazy family heirlooms either. It was like, you know, an Ikea table. And we did have this one couch that we had saved up for while we were in debt. And so we were so proud of that couch from CB2. And that was like, one of this, for some reason, one of the hardest things to let go of, (laughs) um, but it felt so good to do it. Like, and just, just to say, to truly start that new chapter, um, coming from such a fresh and, um, kind of bold and courageous place of saying like, we don't need this stuff to make us who we are. Um, and so, yeah, the only things that we kept were what we could fit into our Volkswagen Tiguan. And that's with basically having the entire back seat empty for Plaxico to run around. In. <laughs> mm-hmm. Have you found that starting over or getting rid of all that stuff helped you get clearer on other areas of your life, like how you wanted to proceed with your business and, and your life together? Yeah. I think it just from the perspective of like, you don't even realize when you, when you sort of accumulate stuff and you build this life around you, you don't even realize ways that it's sort of, I I think with each like decision you make and, and thing that you buy, you're creating this sort of reality box around you. And so sometimes you can't even see that there's something beyond the box, but you can't see it because you're surrounded by all this stuff and all these things that you've kind of decided. And when you break that down, you can suddenly see beyond that box because there's this whole other realm of possibilities. And so for us, I think letting go of the stuff and even like our house back in Florida and starting fresh, completely fresh, it allowed us to look at every decision with fresh eyes and see new, new possibilities in everything because it was like, wait a second. Like if I can break down all this other stuff and rebuild it from the ground up, I can do the same thing with my business or with my relationships or with my, um, you know, even our relationship changed to a degree. So it was more of this like metaphor of, and this freedom of seeing new possibilities in everything. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of that phrase, like how you are with, everything is how you are with everything. Like everything, <laughs> like everything is like a, like I learned it in yoga, like how you are on your yoga mat with your yoga practice is how you are yeah. outside of things. And it's like, 
you can use this one aspect that and is maybe even more extreme, like getting rid of your stuff and that process to have it be like a magnifying glass to show you how you actually are with completely everything else in your life. Yeah. And, and I, I also found that like once we knew what space felt like white space, empty space, negative space, once you know what that breathing room feels like, you then have this new awareness when you feel cluttered in other areas of your life, if that makes sense. So like definitely once we knew how good it felt to have that room to breathe with our stuff, I started taking a look at my business and I felt very overwhelmed with kind of where it had gotten. Cause by that time, by that point, I think I had like four or five online classes and I had all these different projects going on. Jason for sure had a lot of projects going on and we had this like new spidey sense when it came to being like, Whoa, this is a lot of stuff, you know? Um, and because we now had this, this heightened awareness of what a lack of things felt like, um, even physically, you can transfer that. Like you said, every, how you are with everything is how you are with everything. We transferred that to our business. And that's actually part of where the idea of buy our future came from. And originally by my future, it was, it was Jason just saying like, I have so many projects. I've done so many things in the past three years. What is some type of creative way that I can minimize and, uh, boil this down to its simplest form and still have like a profitable way to sell it basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love Jason. Yeah. <laughs> well, luckily I also do. <laughs> That's good. He's so funny. <laughs> um, no, I just, I just keep thinking about when he first came out with that idea and he had his videos like leading up to it and then just kind of blew everyone's mind. And, and now it's just like such a good idea. I've seen other people start. Yeah. Um, I told him that was going to happen. I was like, let me just tell you, this is going to be, people are going to do this. Um, uh-huh. but in, in classic Jason form now, once, you know, once people get it, he's like, okay, what's the next thing that we're going right. to do? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, one of the last things I wanted to chat with you about is one of the things I admire about you and Jason is just really embracing who you are and using that for your benefit, like embracing your weird and like bringing mm-hmm. your weird into everything that you do. And mm-hmm. it's as a business owner running your own business, that can be really valuable. But can you talk about how that's important, not just for entrepreneurs, but as a, I guess, as a form of self-care, like bringing that yes. into your life? Oh, girl, first of all, I'm very excited for you to read Jason's second book because okay. all of your questions are aligning quite well with the content <laughs> of the book. Oh, um, perfect. We will stay tuned. Yeah, stay tuned for that. Um, but I love this question because, like, it is something that Jason and I connect on probably the most, which is just – and I know that the word authenticity gets kind of overplayed maybe these days, but I think that the reason is because it is so important and I'll, I'll kind of talk about it from two different angles based on your question. The first one being the entrepreneurship angle, which is just the sheer fact that there are so many people starting businesses of all shapes and kinds. There are so many messages that we get on a daily basis, thanks to social media and the internet and kind of, you know, being so connected that it stands to reason that you have to do something to stand out and why not use your own like innate ability to stand out in order to accomplish that. So 
we are all different. We all know that we have this unique, uh, everything about us is unique, like what we like, what our quirks, um, what our strengths are, what our talents are, our unique experiences, the way we see the world, everything's different. And so the funny thing about marketing and especially in the online business world is when people go to start online businesses, they go look at like what the standard is, like what everybody's doing. And they try to follow that blueprint. When the irony is that like marketing 101 is you're not trying to fit in, you're trying to stand out so that people will notice you. And so I think if people leaned into their innate uniqueness more, they would find a source for that, that, that is so accessible to them because you don't have to go and think of some crazy idea to stand out. You can just embrace what is already unique about you. And then the benefit of that also is if you lean into that, you end up building a business um, that feels really true to, to who you are on your deepest level. And that is the most kind of, the most satisfying thing of all. And so uh, what I also love about building a business on authenticity is that if you screw up or if you're imperfect or if you do something that you feel like um, maybe on the surface is a misstep, if you've built your business based on being an authentic person, your audience actually will love you more for it. Like it will serve as a bonding experience between you and the people who follow you for your authentic self because they are going to see that that is just a part of who you are. It's the people that build the businesses that are not based on their uniqueness and they are, are trying to fit in. And when they do, do a miss influent with their brand because they've you know built it based on a facade. So I, you know, it's kind of like a business hack. You just build your business based on your uniqueness and you get to feel awesome and be yourself all the time. And as a side benefit, you actually do end up standing out. It's a win-win really. It's a win-win. It's the best thing <laughs> ever. <laughs> like yeah. it's the marketing trick in the book. Yeah. What I have really enjoyed about that is when I have tried to come across differently as I am, or I've tried to be in alignment with what I thought I needed to be like it created so much stress and I wasn't really very successful like I just I don't know it just it felt a little bit more stale and I mean luckily with me I just wear my heart on my sleeve and it's really hard for me to be anything different than myself um but for better or worse but it was like it took so much energy to try yeah. to fit a certain thing that I thought people would want and resonate with. And yep. when I was just kind of like, oh, I can't do that anymore and really started just being myself and being real, it was like, oh, cool. This is better yeah. for everybody. <laughs> Completely. I, I know that feeling and I feel the same way where it's like I have the sort of – we both have the gift and the curse of like we know – we feel it in every cell of our body when we're trying to be something we're not. And it's, it's a feeling that I want to avoid at all costs, which is why I have no choice, but to be myself. Mm-hmm. However, you know, one thing I would say to people, cause I'm sitting here going, yeah, it's the secret to marketing. It's a secret to having a business, but I know why more people don't do it. And it's because we have to also talk about the fact that in doing that, you will, you will have people that will quote unquote reject you. You will have people that won't get you. Um, and, I think the secret in being able to overcome that is just knowing that in like that, that is a good thing. It's being able to reframe rejection or, um, you know, people being like, 
turned away from your brand or who you are. It's being able to reframe that as people doing the sorting for themselves so that more of the right people can find you. Mm-hmm. Um, I always talk about in my branding stuff that you, the goal of creating a brand is to create a magnet that is so strong that the right audience is going to be attracted to you and resonate with your message. And the wrong audience is going to literally be repelled from your brand. And that's not something that should be avoided. That's something that should be encouraged because the more people that you, the more wrong people you repel, that means the more right people are going to be attracted because that's the strength of your magnet. So um, I think that's just an important thing I wanted to throw in is that, you know, I know why more people don't go the uh, the authentic run, it's because it can be scary. But as long as you remind yourself, A, how good it feels to wake up and be able to be yourself um, every day, and then B, that not everyone's going to get it, and that's okay because that means you're actually on the right track. That means you're actually drawing a line in the sand. And the kind of more apparent your line in the sand can be in terms of what you stand for and who you are and what your quirks are, the more the right people are going to feel connected to you in a strong way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's true for business, but it's also true for life. Like, (laughs) even if you work somewhere else, like, it's, you can feel more success when you are being unique and when you are um, just being yourself. It's less draining on you and it can make you stand out from, you know, everybody else. Yeah. In your Completely. I think you just also like reach this point in your life where you, I think exactly what you said, you experience the exhaustion of trying to be like everything to everyone or trying to be a chameleon in, in situations where, um, you know, maybe like social situations or whatever. And you just realize how exhausting that is where you just go like, ain't nobody got time for that anymore. Like, mm-hmm. I just, I don't want to feel that way. I want to be with people who get me for, you know, and maybe they don't even fully understand me, but they, they like that I show up as the fullness of who I am. And if they don't get that, then that's fine. Cause you know, Lord knows I can only maintain a certain number of friendships in my life mm-hmm. anyway. Um, so I definitely think there is an aspect to growing up about that where you become more comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. And just like the, idea that it's okay to not have everyone's approval like it's okay to filter people out because that's I think for whatever reason we're scared of doing especially for the people pleasers out there Mm -hmm. um myself included but it's like okay not everyone's gonna like me not everyone's gonna jive with me like thank you goodbye yeah over there and then it creates more space for for your people and that's completely um I guess that's a new when I my husband Nate is much more introverted than me and Mm -hmm. I'm just I've always been like I'm friends with everybody and I do everything all the time and that was good for a while but we got married and we started getting more intentional about our social situations and our friends I remember feeling so much anxiety that I wasn't nurturing some other yeah friendships and I'm like yeah I'm hanging out with the same people is that okay and I was like is everyone judging me is everyone mad at me now and I like had these so like irrational thoughts and it did like even just socially speaking it was like scary to do but yeah then and I remember finally like it was all going on in my head and I remember talking to Nate about it and he's like Randy this is like 
my whole life. This is how I've been my whole life. Yeah. Like, it's <laughs> and, not and, a and, big deal. And you married me, so. Right. And, <laughs> it's cool. and it's like, it's okay to have a smaller friend group. Like, it's yeah. not that big of a Friends, deal. I know. For the friend thing is really tough. And you definitely, at least in my experience, like, I'm nearing the end of my 20s now. And, that, and like, the friend uh, journey of your 20s is so tough, I feel, because you're going from literally, like, high school to college to after college to then like an adult. And it's a very strange, like friendships serve a different role in all of those different um, capacities. But for me even, so I am a little bit more introverted and I tend to have deeper friendships um, and fewer friendships, but I know there's two people in particular in my mind that I, that were really um, valuable friendships to me, but in all honesty, over the past probably five years, for whatever reason, like I have wanted so much to like keep that relationship going, but I, I truly believe that I have like a capacity of relationships that I can maintain in a way that's in what I would say, like the level that I would want that relationship to be cultivated, which is like my ability to like pick up the phone whenever I, um, whenever they call or the ability to like continue to know what's going on in their life. And for whatever reason, I, I am now at that max capacity. And those two friendships that I that I care so deeply about, I, in my heart of hearts, like just don't know that there's room in order for me. Like if I were to try to force those friendships to continue, I think it would, I think it would lessen the depth of those other relationships, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. And, and that's been really tough because I've had to like come to this conclusion where I just go like, I think that those friends were in my life for a season of time. And I think there's a reason why I'm continually falling short of, of making that effort a little further to like keep that relationship going, in which case I'm reaching a bandwidth in terms of those connections. And that's going to have to be okay. And that's really hard. But um, because that, again, that people pleaser in me as well is like, you know, do they think it's them? Do they think I'm a bad friend? What does this mean about my inability to like multitask and all like all these like stories I tell in my head. And I just finally reached this place where I was like, yeah, but like, I'm able to be so much more present and, and uh, like, have a depth of friendship with those other relationships that I am cultivating. And I just have to focus on that, you know, um, and just be okay with that. Yeah, I like that you use the word season, because that that word helped me a lot with my own relationships and my own friendships and just accepting that just like everything else, there's a purpose and a season for people in our lives. And that's helped me let go of past relationships and it's helped me be okay with not like you were just saying with your friends, like not being able to give as much and then just trusting like their season might come again. It might yeah. come around again and it that can happen organically and if you totally. force it then that's when you can ruin friendships and and restrict the the natural flow of things and so yeah. it is just and trusting that your love with that friend is still there like yeah. <laughs> you know and it yeah it is a it, that's been very very helpful for me and just embracing it and then going with it and being and being okay Absolutely. Yeah. And I think also I, I tend to forget in relationships a lot that like we all, we all struggle with trying to maintain the multitude of things that we maintain as human beings. And I have this tendency to, if I'm, if I feel like I'm falling short, like in a relationship where I'm not pulling my end of the bargain and being like, gosh, we're not connecting as much. Like we're not making time to call each other, blah, blah, blah. 
I tend to completely forget that there's another person in the, <laughs> in the responsibility to also reach out. Totally. So it's like, I put it all on me where I'm like, God, I haven't made time for this, but I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> the other person hasn't either. And I don't, I don't think of them less. I don't think they like me any less. I just go, Oh, you know, they probably have a lot going on, but yet yeah. I'm like, you know, I never make space for that person to maybe think that about me. So I find that it's helpful to just take a moment and remember that as well. Yeah. I just read the book. Um, I'm fine and other lies by Whitney Cummings. And it's really funny. And she talks about this thing and how she finally started like saying no to social engagements or like, being okay with canceling plans on with friends. Cause she's like, when people cancel with me, I'm like, oh, thank God. <laughs> like, I just yeah. wanted to stay home too. So, you know, just trusting that everyone's just in their own little world and they're going to be okay if you oh, yeah. cancel I saw plans. This one, or... Yep. I saw this one, like, I think it was like an Instagram post from Glennon Doyle. That was something along those lines where it's like, a real friend is the one that, like, cancels on me because she knows that I want her to. Or right. like that. But I was like, that's so true. Like if, if a friend cancels on me, I feel it deepens our friendship because I'm like, God, they probably just knew that like, and this is, I think an introvert thing too, where, you know, us introverts, like we love reaching out to people and having deep conversations, but like, you know, you never know when we're going to need our alone time. So when someone reaches out and they're like, can't make our call today. I'm like, Oh, thank God. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I have like with certain friends when they ask me to do something, I'll just say, well, I just put my PJs on and they're like, (laughs) they're like, okay, we'll do it another time. (laughs) They just know like when Randy's in PJ mode, like that's just how, I mean, they're welcome to join me in their PJs and sometimes that happens, but that's, but they know also if I am in my pajamas and I get dressed again and go out they feel really good about oh yeah it's like it. that's, yeah you're like exceeding expectations it's yeah. fantastic yeah it's nice and yeah and and then it's so true that I that I have I have one friend specifically who's a best friend who I've known her long enough and know her well enough at this point that I know that showing up like even just for a phone call or whatever when you say you're going to is like gospel for her. Like it is a huge piece of integrity for her. So even my little introverted self, like if I, even if I'm like exhausted or I don't feel like talking that day, I will show up for that conversation because I know how important that is to her in terms of like the currency of our friendship. So I don't know. Mm. Friendship is like a whole different, interesting topic. It is, isn't it? (laughs) It's very good. Well, um, so you have some exciting things coming up. Anything you want to share or tell people how they can stay yeah. tuned? I do have a book coming out uh, later this year. I don't have the official release date or else I, I'd be all over promoting the heck out of it right here, like shamelessly. Um, <laughs> it looks like it could be as soon as August of this year. Um, I haven't released details about the title or even the publisher yet because I kind of want to save the excitement for when I've got it in my hands and I can share it all with you. But I will say that it is um, a guided journal that has both stories, so like writings from me, as well as creative exercises, like things that you can draw in and uh, do fun little creative workbooky type things, um, as well as 60 pieces of my colorful art that you'll see all over my Instagram that is throughout as well. So you can kind of like rip those out and use as your own little art prints. Um, so it's definitely the book that I, if I found it in a store, I would pick up and want to purchase. Um, 
and I'm really, really excited about it. Um, and then I'm also working on Jason's book, which will also be out this year. Like I said, I'm just finishing up the edits for him. He's written the whole thing. So we're working on that together. And we are going to be launching. I think I can say this. He tells secrets all the time. So I don't know what (laughs) level I can disclose. But I will say that we are launching a joint brand very, very soon. Um, So we're hoping for that to be in the March timeframe. So that is for the next like month is what I'm going to be working on a whole ton. So the best place to probably stay up to date for that is my Instagram, which is at C Kelso, C K E L S O, or you can sign up for my newsletter at madevibrant.com slash newsletter. And, uh, that's where you'll get all the good stuff. Yeah. I will say that because I am a member of by our future, I yes. know, I know these more details and it's, yes, you do. <laughs> so that's a perk. Um, but it's, <laughs> It's very exciting. I love it. I think it's brilliant. I think Thank people you. are going to be really, it's going to be really helpful for people for sure. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm definitely looking at it as the beginning of a new chapter, um, which I love change and I love uh, challenges and I love sort of the wading into the unknown and doing something together again like this that feels bigger is definitely something that scared the heck out of me. And it took me a long time to say yes, because Jason brought this idea to me, but now that I have said yes, I'm all in on it. So I'm very excited. Yeah. And I think if, you know, anyone listening out there resonates with the more, uh, I guess to use your word, soulful approach to business yeah. like this, but you also have a very like pragmatic mind, like it's going to be a good combination of the two for you well, as a resource. Well, thanks for that. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, and I will plug your newsletter because it's one of my favorite newsletters. Um, Thank and you. It's just a very good way to be real, I think. Yeah. <laughs> like, you'll, your newsletter will come out and I'll be like, oh, me too. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also, if you ever want to know, like, what I'm going through in my life, it is very real time. Like, yeah. there was a time where I tried <laughs> to make it more timeless and then I just found, like, no, my the way that I know how to write is just by, like, sharing my feelings as I'm feeling them. So yeah, if you just want like a behind the scenes look at somebody's life and all the lessons that I learned along the way, sign up for the newsletter. Yeah. It's worth it. Cool. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you, Caroline. Thank you so much for having me, Randy. Oh man. So many treasures in that conversation. Definitely worth going back and listening to a few times. But one of my favorite things she talked about was how self-care allows her to play a more active role in owning her experience in the world. That when you let go of your self-care, you become more of a victim of circumstance. You react to the world instead of cultivating the world around you. I have found that to be so true and realizing that gives me even more motivation to make my self-care practices a priority. Tune in next week with our final episode of the month of joy, all about the joy of winter and saunaing and farmers markets and community with some of my besties, Joe and Simone of Folkways. And don't forget your little love gift, the Cultivating Self-Love ebook. Text self-love18 to 44222 or head over to naturallyrandyk.com. And while you're over there, you can sign up for my free weekly newsletter and find out more about my self-care mentoring sessions that I referred to during this podcast. You can also follow me on the Instagrams for daily self-care adventures at naturallyrandyk. 
Until next week, take good care and enjoy the journey.